0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another Caddy Cube Tuesdays, Jason's podcast. We have a record number of signups today for Mike Blumenthal. Um, I'm terribly, terribly pleased to have you here, and, and you get the song, and then we can get started. A quick hello, and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Mike Blumenthal.
1: <laughs> as long as I don't have to sing in response, I'm all good.
0: You're free to if you want
1: to. Uh, no, no, no. For, does I, I have nothing, no repost. So.
0: Wonderful. Well, in fact, welcome. And I'm delighted to have you, Mr. All Local all the time. I really like your taglines. I also like the Google is your homepage, which I cite an awful lot. I say it's your business card because I don't have the, um, what's, this, what's the word? I don't have the courage to go quite as far as you do
1: just as long as you understand what I mean when I say it, right? I don't mean that it replaces your website. I just mean it's the most
0: visible page
1: of any business on the internet. And given that, that it needs due respect.
0: I agree a hundred percent. What I've found is when I say Google's your business card, uh, marketers get it because they give that kind of cards to people. Whereas the homepage concept is slightly more difficult to push. And some people simply don't agree, but the business card, nobody disagrees with me. So anyway, but that's, I mean, is it, What's to disagree
1: with the concept that it is the most visible piece of your business in the world, is where it shows on Google. I mean, however many times you see them on your website, you're going to see them more on Google just by the nature of the beast, right? So the argument is against it being the most visible one is weak.
0: Right, okay. Well, I'll bring you along to my arguments with people about that one next time because uh, you're, you're very good at this and probably a lot better than I am. Um. Anyway, we'll start off with the Brand search thingy because that's my thingy. And it's today it's knowledge panel hopping. Uh, GatherUp, which is your company. Uh, if we show that, uh, I found the knowledge panel for GatherUp, which is delightful and lovely. And the people also search for related entities at the bottom there. And there are 10 more behind that. Uh, terribly, terribly, terribly well-focused, it seems to me. And then you click on the parent organization and you hop to the next screen. Um, Then you click on, what was it called, Planoly, which is another company that belongs to them. And you kind of dig down again into the family tree, as it were, on the next screen. And we see Planoly. Uh, I like this idea because it shows you the family tree that Google is seeing and Google has understood. Um, So knowledge panel hopping is a new sport and I invite everybody to play it because it's a lot of fun. And you end up kind of like spending hours doing it without realizing kind of what you've done. And then everyone gets annoyed with you because you haven't done any work.
1: Well, as you know from our pre-talk, I am a big fan of getting the local knowledge graph and the brand knowledge graph to merge into a single knowledge graph. Yeah. Unfortunately, with Gather Up, I just couldn't quite pull that off. Couldn't quite get enough high value uh, Pro, uh, references to do that, but it is possible.
0: yeah and 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 I love that idea I mean I, that's something we need to talk about at some point so I'll definitely have you back very soon when I've finished building the Calicube platform which I'm building with wordlift authoritas to and authoritas sorry to 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 try to figure out how to trigger this um, the knowledge panels and potentially now you've mentioned that uh, how to merge the Google my business with the knowledge panel which is incredibly interesting uh, but not the topic for today Unfortunately <laughs> not, but <laughs> well I'll have you back in a, in a, in a few weeks because I'm suddenly terribly intrigued because, but can you confirm because I, I have a lot of trouble on you're obviously very good at convincing people of things that it's I, hold, hold it <laughs> hold it. I, that makes me sound like a salesman. I, <laughs> I have strong opinions
1: about things which I hope are well reasoned yep. and I am prepared to defend them and adjust them when reason dictates otherwise. So anyways,
0: go ahead. I didn't mean to suggest you might be a a terrible kind of carpetbag salesman (laughs) person, Um, but the, the fact that it's so very difficult to actually get the Google knowledge graph to understand, accept, and believe in inverted commas in what you're trying to communicate to it, and the amount of information you have to get out there and the amount of corroboration and the consistency of that information it's a big job, which is why you're saying you don't have the time.
1: Correct, it is a big job and it's annoyingly complex and it's beyond, you know, And it is unnecessarily complex. There should be a parent-child relationship that's available to us. We could easily sort of show that it's got a local presence as well as a national presence. And that should be, you know, Google understands that internally, but it should be more accessible and more serviceable. I think the results will be better.
0: Oh, I agree 100%. But my entire career is built on the fact that it isn't so easy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Google makes careers this way, right? It's like (laughs) there's people
1: who specialize in review spam and there's people who specialize now in, you know, locations. uh, uh, you,
0: You mentioned spam and what I'm starting to see is knowledge panel spam where people trigger these knowledge panels, and they just cheat their way to it. And, and what then appears to happen is that they click on claim this knowledge panel, somebody at Google has a look at it and they just delete it because it's so obviously somebody just cheating and and, and manipulating the system. So knowledge panel spam, potentially a new spammy thing. And then,
1: And maybe you could expand your professional services into that to continue to make a living in the future.
0: Well, not doing the spam, if I might no, no, no. clarify, either
1: fixing it or reporting it or
0: helping. Yeah, no, well, with I mean, it. I'm fixing it is is something I'm starting to do, just in the sense that I think people think it's much easier than it really is, and now right. I'm saying to them, let's build it step by step, because when you do build that, you build this understanding and also a very good online presence that's credible and consistent, and it can't be bad for anybody. So, doing it properly is a very good idea from top to bottom. Right. I mean, certainly consistent messaging across
1: all the services you appear on will help Google understand who you are and what you do.
0: Which, oh, I love that. Who you are and what you do, that's what Google needs to understand. And coming from the kind of local search area where basically it would appear things happen before they happen everywhere else, Uh, this idea of naps, name, address, phone number, happened to you guys first. And it's basically the same concept with what I'm doing with Knowledge panels. So I'm like six or seven years behind you um, and happy to, to learn from you, which is wonderful. But we're talking about review attributes, which is part of the local search world. And you're saying that review attributes are the biggest change to reviews in a decade, which is a big claim now. Number one, what are review attributes? So- review attributes before before we get into it that that was a really long pause it was because i
1: really want to position reviews for google in the bigger context and i want people to understand that google views reviews as the mother load of data over the past 12 years since they got into reviews they have essentially dominated the review space and get more reviews than any other service per month per location and as such, it's a huge data stream to Google. Now, Google, you know, the best analogy I've heard about Google and reviews is it's kind of like the electric company in Niagara Falls. The electric company just cares whether the water's flowing through their turbines and generating electricity. Whereas me as an individual, I go to Niagara Falls and I'm standing below the falls. I care that the water is flowing over the falls and not generating electricity. I care that the water maybe has fish in it so I can and isn't full of poop, so maybe I can drink it, right? Google doesn't care whether the river is full of poop. They just want it to generate the electricity and review data is much like that. They just want massive amounts of data that they can then use. Now, and this creates cognitive dissonance for most businesses because they see the review from their personal point of view as a testament to their business, as a criticism of themselves. Google just sees it as a huge river of data flowing into the electric station, generating information. And so this explains why they don't really care that much about review spam. It explains why they're using reviews to gather more data about a business. And that's exactly what review attributes are. It's a way for Google to gather more granular data about a business. So review attribute, for those of you who haven't seen it, is a, there's a long way to get here. I apologize, but I tend to to take the long route as I build this argument. but um, So in any service-based business starting last April when nobody could see it because reviews were shut off, Google rolled out a feature that not just allows you to give a business five stars in a written review, but now if you give them four or five stars, uh, service business, they will surface uh, three, four, or five positive attributes. And if you give them one or two stars, they'll serve as three, four, or five negative attributes about a business, allowing you to create more understanding about their prof- professionalism, their cleanliness, their value, their timeliness. And those attributes change depending on the category.
0: Right. And so just to be really clear, we're talking about Google reviews and not reviews on Trustpilot or Trust Radius or something like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, some of those other companies uh, had been doing it in the hotel space, and Google had uh, actually bought that feed in the hotel space. And hotels was right. one of the early places we saw attributes. But then Google brought, like typically they do, they bring it in house and do it themselves. So, um,
0: sure, yeah, they nick other people's. Like, oh, I didn't say that. Um, so the well, interestingly. We've seen Google try review attributes uh, before this. We saw it in
1: 2010 with, I don't know if you remember, Hot Pot, which was sort of the first personalized effort at personalizing local. Uh, And then we saw them with when they bought Zagat and Google Plus. We saw attributes. Both of those faded. Um, And then we saw them resurge last year in uh, electricians, and those kinds of businesses, right. and then and, again...
0: And, and you think this one's going to stick. I mean, that is the thing of the Google graveyard that Gennaro Corfano from WordLift talks to me about. There are all these things in the Google graveyard, and I think we fail to realise there are boatloads of failures and some successes, and we we focus right. on the successes. Is this going to be a success? Well, Google never
1: throws a good idea away. They just resurface it in time. For example, free product listings, which are now common and local, used to be free and frugal, if you remember frugal, in 2008. Wow, yes. And free product listings are back. So good ideas don't go away. They just get resurfaced. So this is is an idea, though, that I do believe that they're going to Everything at Google is a test. Even things that have been rolled out and are apparently stable, it's still a test. If Google comes up with a better way of doing it, they don't have any problem throwing it away. So given that, this is as solid of a feature as any I've seen in a while. How's oh, that for an answer?
0: That's a brilliant answer. You're, 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 you've, you've thought that one through or else you're just a genius because you thought No, it no I've thought it through. I
1: mean, Google really tests everything, even Go things ahead. they call. I mean, how long was Gmail in beta? right? I mean, they test everything. I remember
0: that as well. And they
1: keep testing it forever and review attributes fall into that category. And then recently they've even expanded in the, in the home services business, they've added beyond review attributes. They're now additionally asking uh, which particular services of the electrician or the plumber or the locksmith that you used. So the review form gets longer and longer, even though it's a terrible human user experience It's great for Google's data collection process, back to my
0: original. Yeah, if we come back one step, because you're digging really down into the details there, review attributes are relatively new, therefore service industries rather than um, sales industries because the cleanliness of a shop isn't necessarily important. Is that a fair statement? (sighs) I think that it's in service industries... um,
1: because Google is attempting to learn more granular information in every industry, come up with calls to action in every industry. And they're very vertically focused in this and service industries, since you're right, they don't sell products. So there's no product listings. They, you know, they typically uh, have different set of values. Interestingly, within these, there are five or six variations that we found and they vary by subset. So you'll see different different, attributes for lawyers than you see for a salon for example
0: right i mean cuz i mean the idea of an attribute to a service is relatively simple to to kind of focus on for google because with with a service you're saying i have an opinion about the company or about the service of that company right uh, so you're going straight to the the core of it, which is how good is the company itself as opposed to the products itself. Right.
1: But because of that, it is it could be used on others, and so I do think that it offers enough value to Google that it it is possible that it will be rolled out in other service related industries uh, first, like dentistry and perhaps uh, medical. Mm-hmm. But I do believe it could be it, every reason it could be rolled out, for example, to the car service and other ones. Yeah. And just let me read off a couple examples of the structures that we see. Ahead. So uh, in the five attributes, we sometimes, we sometimes see quality. We always see quality and that well, we see quality in all of them. But in five, we see quality, value, professional, responsive, and on time, negative and positive in, you know, in four attributes, uh, like in a vertical one, you might see uh, uh quality value professional responsive and then even you know one might include communication or clean so they vary right. depend, and the grouping of them vary we like i said we see between three attributes and five attributes depending on the vertical
0: yeah um i mean i've got my list in front of me so i'm cheating i read the thing that you wrote which is the, the one the one that i did say that reliable i like I like that idea of reliability. I mean, you've got quality professional, value responsive, on time, reliable, clean, and communication. Uh, Obviously, clean doesn't matter for, I mind you, it might, I was going to say it doesn't matter for lawyers, but it does. An unclean lawyer would be pretty offensive.
1: (laughs) Well, typically, you see clean in salons and, uh, you know, sort of personal services,
0: massage. No, sorry. I I was going to say lawyer, and I actually had a lawyer once, and I went to his office, and it it was a bit smelly, so uh, but it wouldn't have come up as an attribute for a lawyer because it's not naturally something we would want to judge a lawyer by.
1: Right there, you're going to see. I think it's value, professional, uh, responsive, reliable. I think it's end quality are the vet or the lawyer ones.
0: Right. Okay. So can you can you give me a quick list? Obviously, not an exhaustive list of of the of the industries or the, the types of service where this is currently appearing, and then another sure. list after that where it might appear soon. Um, so
1: just a note that it appears based on primary category in local. Okay. So, for example, Barbara Oliver, who uh, sells jewelry, but also does jewelry design. When I switched her category from jewelry to jewelry design, she got attributes.
0: Right. So it's something we can actually aim for if we're confident in the level of our service. And if the more specific category serves your business, right?
1: Uh, Which is the other question. But so you you see it in any service type business. uh, Professionals include things like lawyers, accountants, surveyors, uh, financial planners. uh, And then you see it in personal services like barbers and salons and masseuses. You see it in all the home services, locksmiths, uh, garage door openers, electric, plumbing, heating, air conditioning, all of those. Uh, so you see it in any thing that tattoo artists, you see it. So uh, where again, cleanliness is a critical question. You see it in anything that when you think of a service as opposed to a product, that's where you're likely to see it. Now there are some areas that are services where you don't like equipment rental and, oh, no. uh, and physicians and dentists, you don't see it yet.
0: Can, can, can you think of a reason why it wouldn't be there yet? Uh, I mean, I can I can think doctors and, and dentists would be a little bit dangerous, yeah. but, you know, equipment rental, why not? I don't know on equipment rental. I've thought
1: a lot about We did see it pop up in our samples in a few physicians uh, erratically. So Google was clearly testing it. I think during the time of COVID, they perceived physicians as being under stress enough, and they didn't want to pile on.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, d- during COVID, I mean, I'm in France, in Paris, and I, I tried to find a physician because you have to have an a attributed physician and nobody would take me. They all said, oh, we've got too many patients and we're not taking you. So I ended up without with a doctor, which was rather upsetting. Uh, but that's a completely different story. Well,
1: I'm like in the United States where I, my local doctor, I live rurally, did such a terrible job. I felt compelled to Pay for a medical concierge service so that I could have a direct relationship with a trusted doctor. I mean, you know, it's like my my local medical practice was. I felt like they were putting my life at danger, and right. ended up quitting them and actually paying money so I could get a physician regularly that I trusted.
0: Really, a bizarre. concierge service, as in online, or, or something that I'm- as in a, as in
1: a doctor that only takes a few patients oh, and can handle the load because you pay an annual fee. It's, a cr- it's criminal, but I felt it was the only way to stay safe.
0: Okay. I mean, in, in France, we're starting to have doctors, you can go to a, a pharmacy and you can have, and they've got all the equipment for doing your blood tests and, and stuff, and you can do it in front of the screen on the internet with a doctor, um, okay. which actually ended up solving my problem, um, which I find astonishing and interesting and terribly encouraging. Yes, I, I, and
1: we're going to see, we're seeing that in rural America as well, that sort of.
0: Oh, let's stop talking about old man's tales of, of feeling ill and going to see the doctor. Um, you don't want to hear about my prostate? What? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, but not Uh-oh. right now. Okay, oh, good, another, good. Another conversation. I'm, um, I'm good with that. <laughs> um, how, how has it affected businesses? I mean, kind of th- this idea immediately makes me think as a business, I have to be fearful. I, I have to, I'm fearful, obviously it's a kind of big word, but I need to be responsive. I need to be reliable. I need to be on time, which is things we should be doing anyway, but doesn't, doesn't, sorry, two questions then one is, does it put the fear of Google into people, into businesses? And secondly, um, Well, let's start with that one. Does it put the fear of of Google into business?
1: I think because it came out primarily during COVID and because it is only visible to the reader of reviews in Google search. It's not visible in the GMB. It's not visible in Google Maps. So unless a business is in one of these categories and actively looks at their own SERPs, their own search results, they're not Mm -hmm. even gonna see them. So I think because of the way Google has rolled it out, a lot of businesses are not yet aware of the feature. Um, But I I would contend that there's a lot of reasons to love them as a business Mm -hmm. because it creates consistency and actionable information for the business, which ultimately is the purpose of a review is to improve It gives you the ability to analyze your competitors in a structured, consistent way. Yeah, um, But the only place that they're being surfaced like that is in my product, gather Yeah, I thought they were so yeah. important. We helped build, you know, we wanted to scrape them and build it because Google was clearly
0: dropping the ball on them. So, but, I mean, with, with Gather Up, you scrape the brand SERP and you pull that information out. So you pull this specific information. Whereas at CaliCube, we're scraping the brand SERP, but we're not actually looking at the very local stuff. Leave right. that to the experts, which is what I was trying to say earlier on, in fact, is Google My Business is stuff you know so much more than I do about. Um, but I, I would rather say somebody, you know, you want to manage your Google My Business, talk to Mike or, or Greg. Or
1: George well, for that matter. Right. Uh, all talented people. The industry and in local is a very talented group of people yeah. that, that, I, that I love working with. The And as you pointed out, though, it's the sort of canary in the coal mine of entities. It was the first mm-hmm. area where they experimented and implemented entity knowledge graph and still is a leading edge of that bleeding edge of it, right? We see things there often before you see them in the greater brand knowledge graph.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love the, the the guy, I can't remember what his name is, but he was, he was at um, Amazon who were bought, he was at Graphic who were bought by Amazon, that was it. And he said, the Google Maps is uh, a, a, an active performing knowledge graph that solves geospatial queries that has never seen before in real time. Um, And that if we look at Google Maps and how that functions, obviously, this isn't directly Google My Business, but how that functions, we can understand how the knowledge graph functions. And you have those multiple problems that you don't think about immediately. For example, Gather Up has the parent company that has the child company. And Google is is looking at that and saying, "Okay, this is the relationships I can see. That can change over time. And in the case of something like gather up, it will change every four or five years, 10 years, whatever. But in sports, if I look up what's the strike rate of uh, baseball player number four, I I don't know any baseball players. um, It needs to be right up to date because that's what Google expects. So you have this problem, the knowledge graph needing to update in real time. Yeah, I
1: mean, so maps is part of the local ecosystem for google right i mean there's a there's a knowledge graph that then surfaces on whatever surface google thinks it's appropriate whether that's yeah. a voice interface whether it's google search whether it's google maps this data that is shared however but yeah, maps is a great example and gives google a huge competitive advantage that interestingly to me is not the focus of the antitrust but it's even more of a closed garden google maps is more of a closed garden than searches i mean google could Probably spin off maps into its own company, and it would probably be fine. uh, As a, and yet very few people think of it in the antitrust sense, but it's more of a walled garden than searches.
0: Right, brilliant. Okay, back to reviews again because I'm I'm desperately trying to keep on topic because we can do a whole talk about this the next time. Um, I'm, I'm available. (laughs) I I loved the article by Bill Slavsky, and it was quite a long time ago where he was saying that Google was uh, extracting information from reviews to get the attributes, which is now they're doing it um, explicitly. And I remember my example has always been looking for a coffee shop with comfy chairs and Wi-Fi. And if I type that into Google, it will pull up usually a review with all those highlighted where somebody said it was a really comfy chair and the Wi-Fi was great.
1: Correct. So the Google patent was updated or written in 2018. It's how, you know, how Google uses reviews to understand a business. I also wrote a version of it for local at the Gather Up blog. Okay. Um, it, it, We've known in local for many years that review content was aggregated around the entity, you know, the nouns, the adjectives, the superlatives, the criticisms.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the way that works is, whether it's and Google doesn't care whether it's a Google review or a third-party review, they look at the review rating. If it's a solid review rating, they analyze all the those nouns and attributes in the in it, and it gets positively associated, counted, and then associated with the entity. And if it's a negative review, it gets disassociated or the you know subtracted from the value. So let's just sure. take the case of Barbara Oliver again and engagement rings, she has a lot of mentions of engagement rings in positive reviews. So when you search for engagement rings, uh, you mm. know uh, in near Buffalo or, or Williamsville, you'll see her surface. And then Google will surface those reviews in the local um, finder as what are called by Google justifications. In other words, these are the reasons we are surfacing this result or sometimes you see them as a little snippet in, like you mentioned, in a three-pack. But mm-hmm. these are called justifications by Google. In other words, they are showing the user why they're doing that. And you could, and in the case of the local finder, when you drill in, you can see review after review with Barbara Oliver mentioning engagement rings, which they highlight mm-hmm. in bold.
0: And 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 that brings me to another couple of questions. One of which is the fact that the Barbara Oliver reviewers mention the products an awful lot increases Google's confidence that that is actually what they provide, which increases presumably the probability that it will come up in the search for those related keywords. Um, So in fact, what we should be doing, there are two things, one of which, this is my new idea. One is get our customers to repeat incessantly what it is we sell or what it is we do. Uh, And number two, uh, get them to focus on the quality, professional, value, responsive, on-time, reliable, clean, and communication that we've already have as attributes explicitly, even if we're not necessarily in the situation where they can give those in the explicit sense that you're talking about. Would that be a fair approach for a business? Yes.
1: Get, and we've identified this together up and what we did was we built variables into the client that gets uploaded as to what service they used or which person they dealt with so those variables can be put into the review ask and what we see is when we include those variables in the review ask we get them much more frequently in the review content so
0: So you're absolutely you're you're saying the idea that you served me in the coffee shop and they say mike served you your coffee how did you feel about your coffee i think oh i liked mike Exactly.
1: And we've built that functionality in together up and we find that it generates a lot of more reviews about Mike or not liking Mike, whatever, but right.
0: And can you word the request in a way that gets people to say things like the quality was amazing, the professionalism or the cleanliness or, or the coffee was great or I had a comfy chair or, or wifi or whatever?
1: Um, I haven't tried it at that level, but there's certainly, I think uh, you could, mentioned speaking to the value and professionalism as a metric you're interested in, and I think people would respond to it.
0: Um, um, one thing I did notice is with my clients, I mean, I don't have very many local clients, but, you know, some of them ask for reviews sometimes, and there is a tendency of businesses to ask very yes and no questions, right. and, and you ask a question, is like, did you like the coffee, and then they write the review, and it goes five stars, Yes. Exactly. I mean, it
1: makes no sense. You need to ask (laughs) open-ended questions. And this is my wife keeps telling me to stop mansplaining and to ask an open-ended question. You can't ask a yes or no question. I mean, you need to phrase it in an open-ended way so uh, the user can explicate using those words.
0: Right. So, and you need to ask, ask an open-ended question, but a question that also suggests which direction they might be taking that encourages them to mention the product, to mention these attributes. Um, so, from the, from this point of view, the attributes, The have you seen an effect, a, a direct effect, on uh, performance within local search for these brands when they've got great attribute ratings, as it were?
1: Not yet, but I haven't tested it extensively. Um, certainly, the the i think the attributes if they're not being used for search fulfillment at this point i think there's a very high likelihood they will because mm-hmm. as you pointed out and as we discussed before every word in a review google tabulates calculates mm-hmm. and and um you know adds th- th- these have other values though you know beyond search retrieval mm-hmm. um, that i think are significant right there high intent key, they're potentially high intent keywords. They're a standardized, I offer a standardized way of measuring and getting, extracting more management value from reviews. I think they can drive content that you could respond to so that you show on those searches. So if you are doing, you know, really providing really good value in your service, every reason, and your competitors aren't, and you can see this and measure it, every reason you should be talking about that on your website and you're doing well on that organically. So I think you can inform not just your competitive analysis, but your content.
0: Which which, which brings me to another question, which is, uh, would you suggest that? As a business, I should say on my site how I want to be perceived, how I want to be understood, who I am, what I do, who my audience is, and what my qualities are, and then get that confirmed in the reviews by my clients.
1: Yes, if it's true. The problem is when it isn't, right? So to some extent, you need to, at this point, analyze your attributes, see what you're being criticized on, fix it. Mm. highlight the things you're doing well on and that you're standing out compared to the competitors. So to me, then you're dealing in truth or relative perceived truth. Uh, And, you know, because there's, you know, we live in a world in which you are now co-negotiating your reputation with your customers. You no longer totally can say what it is. And that's a good thing for the most part, but you have to be aware that if you bullshit, people are going to catch you on it and call you out on it. So you really... The, the, this your brand story is being co-told with consumers these days. And that's and critical to understand.
0: Sure. And and your 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 brand story is being told by Google or through your it's Google's perception of your users or your clients' perception of you of you. Correct. Google's perception of the world's opinion of you. And Certainly. Google
1: Google extensive if you look at the new if you do a search, for example, on a car dealer and you look at the new mobile results, they have elevated numerous review sites into the top six, seven, eight, nine, 10 spots. They've come up with new review review summaries of these review sites. So when you look at a brand search in local, you know, in a category that has a lot of review sites, almost every page is, is a, a third party review site with review stars on it. And so your story is being told by Google through the congregation of this content from across the web. And so Mm. it needs to be consistent across the web so you don't create cognitive dissonance in the buyer. And this goes back to the attributes. If you're going to make these claims, you want to be sure that they're validated in reality.
0: And and you also need to make sure that you're covering all the bases in terms of review platforms. I mean, review, review platforms are coming, especially in local, more and more to the fore, um, so you, you you can't just say, "Oh, I'll just throw everybody at Google, make sure those attributes filled in because it's going to give this a big advantage, because on the left rail, all of a sudden, you're going to look like a fool.
1: Exactly. And what we're seeing, though, is a decline of general review sites like Facebook right. and Yelp, but an increase of Google giving exposure and importance to vertical review sites. So not every industry has vertical review sites like insurance in the United States, for example, has virtually no vertical review sites. Um, but some industries like cars and medical have five or 10 vertical sites, and those are getting very high visibility in the knowledge graph, in the SERPs, and can, mm-hmm. can combine uh, to tell this brand story. You know, Facebook is basically getting out of the review business. and They're going into recommendations. Right. Yelp is taking it on the chin in terms of any, you know, because of their decline in their markets and the decline of their traffic. So these general review sites Have really succumbed to the elephant in the room, which is Google, but the vertical ones are becoming increasingly important. And you're right, you should, you need to be aware of them, which ones show in your industries, and which ones can reinforce your brand story.
0: So, I mean, and, and you're, you're really looking at this idea of niche. I mean, but the entire Google mm. ecosystem is is niching down, as it were. I mean, yes. from the CaliCube brand service, larger or wider, not larger, it's you know, wider than the local idea. Is we look at uh, music groups, events, people, uh, national brands, international brands, local brands, companies, software, any kind of entity. And then when you go
1: into local, you start seeing review attributes. So is this business professional? And as I mentioned before, you start seeing services that they're gathering and now they're gathering products. So these are all long-term efforts by Google to get more and more granular down to the point of knowing, you know, what products you sell, what prices you sell them for. Even I saw the other day, you know, if you can use schema to indicate if something's on sale and Google will Hmm. highlight that in the SERPs. So we're talking about very, very granular pieces of information, both in terms of these attributes, quality, value, professionalism, cleanliness, timeliness, down to which products you carry and which things people really like, et cetera, which services you provide.
0: I I really like that idea. I mean, I think of a family tree. I mean, I do my experiments on the Blue Dog and Yow Koala, which I talk about all the time on Twitter because it's fun. But the the idea of a family tree with a business with a, a subsidiary and then the subsidiary has these products and you've got this factual, information that Google's pushing into its knowledge graph, uh, the Google Maps being one, and then these qualitative judgments that are being attached, the attributes that are being attached to these different elements that are factual. So you've got a kind of a question of accumulated public opinion about the facts.
1: Right. Google doesn't see doesn't really deal in truths, right? But they do right. view them, the, the attributes they view as what Bill Slosky called a semantic triple. Right, so you have a subject, a predicate, and object. The subject would be the business entity, the law firm. The predicate would be the value of professionalism, uh, or the, rather, the, you know provides positive good yep. things. Yep. And then the object would be the the professionalism, responsiveness, whatever. Yeah, and I
0: think, I think it, people forget that that semantic triples idea is that it isn't uh, object subject, object, i uh, sorry, object, uh, verb, object, it's the object on either side can be a concept or an idea or even an opinion. Exactly,
1: but this allows Google to,
0: with a machine, unambiguously query and reason about
1: these entities, not right. based on truth, but based on these format formulations as they get more granular.
0: Right, yeah, so uh, law firm A is professional. That professional is the, the the entity. And you also you also have this company um, provides law services. Law service is also an entity in the sense, I mean, it, it's a topic. So Correct. we've got the topic layer coming into this. I mean, from my point of view, I mean, I love this stuff. I mean, it just sounds like we're talking to a human being.
1: Correct. I mean, in the end, it seems like that, right? Even though it's, <laughs> it is unambiguous querying of, of a semantic triplet. Triple, mm-hmm. right? But it, it it appears magic, and it is, I suppose, at some level, but
0: and, it, and, and as business owners, we're kind of faced, I mean, obviously Google is such a dominant force that we're faced with this machine that's constantly watching us, kind of big brother-esque, of it, making, you know, making judgments or collecting the information about us. I mean, I like to say, if rather than hire a marketing firm, why don't you just Google? the information, see what Google thinks the world thinks about the topic or your company or the opinion about your company.
1: But then the response to that, a lot of people in, in, in response to that try to manipulate the machine right. rather than go back to the fundamentals of good reputation, good public relations, good presence in your community, uh, you know, good services so that all of those things that that a traditional business marketing was concerned with the best minds and locals say, "Look, you need to go back to that. Not try to manipulate the machine because the machine's too is, is ultimately going to, you know, not respond well to that manipulation, or going to create like we talked about these inconsistencies in the brand result. Where somebody's going to see that your Yelp reviews are twos, your Google reviews are fives. What's going on here? Are you just going to stop and mm-hmm. you know go look for somebody else because they they don't, don't want to cope with it?"
0: I mean, what kind of strategy can you have me? Cause that brings up the question of, I've got like, let's say 50 clients and only five of them are ever gonna give me a review. Um, how do I distribute them in terms of asking them for reviews on these different platforms?
1: Well, um, oh. one is you wanna be sure to ask everybody because
0: yeah.
1: you don't know, you can assume that they're not going to, but you don't know they're not going to. Secondly, You may want to consider first-party reviews because we see in Gather Up that first-party reviews will come in at 10x, 20x the rate of third-party reviews. Most people are more willing to talk to you than they are to talk to Google. And from where we sit, it's the information you crave, not the outcome. I mean, in other words, you don't care where it's said, as long as it's said. So, first-party reviews fill that gap in a huge way. Sorry, and just that, just
0: to be just to be clear, I mean, first-party reviews. You mean is I ask you as a client, you tell me, and you don't put it online, but at least I know well, you. You put it on your
1: website, perhaps, um, right. and you put it perhaps in scheme on your website. And, so do, that and do,
0: do brands tend to underestimate that, in your opinion? I Those absolutely
1: absolutely do because first-party reviews are going to. I mean. As a, as a human, I'm going to be much more willing to tell you than I am to go out and leave it at Google. As you pointed out, maybe 10%, maybe 5% are willing to leave it at Google. What we see when we do a funnel, we, we have several funnels. One funnel is ask for a first party, then ask for a third party. The other is just ask for a third party. And what we see is you may get in in the first funnel where we ask for both, you may get 5% review rate, but you get a 35% or third party review rate, but you had a 35% first party review rate. Well, that's 40%. You just ask for third party reviews, you maybe get a 10% review rate, right? So you do get some more reviews by just asking for reviews at Google, but you don't get anywhere near as much data and information. So you get more objective data, it's better balanced and can be used for a lot of things, and you own it. I love the idea of owning yeah. this data as opposed to renting it from freaking Google, who you can't trust in the best of times.
0: Yeah, sure, 100%. Ooh, and I've got another theory that I, I love personally, and it's the idea that I can post reviews that I have collected first party on my own site. Google will not believe me or trust what I've put up unless I have some third party reviews that support what it is I'm saying on my site, at which point that duopoly there, my own blowing my own trumpet, accompanied by proof from third party platforms that what I'm saying, blowing my own trumpet on my own site is true, is incredibly powerful. Correct. And it's also
1: powerful as a content engine. One of the big problems in local is people can't generate fresh content. Google loves fresh content. Why not have your users write it if they're willing to write it at this scale? So so back to your original question, how do you get more than five people to write? One is you ask regularly. Two, you consider first party, or at least in the mix. You don't have to do it all one way or all the other. You then sometimes consider every time you interact with them or periodically re-engaging with them on this topic. You don't have to be one and done you know, in the insurance industry, you renew insurance once a year. Well, ask once a year if you're still doing a good job and ask for review at that time, right? So repeating the ask at an appropriate time frame, I think is a great idea. And then mixing and matching. It's like you don't have to do it just to Google or just first party or just to a third party. You can switch those in and out. We have some clients that sometimes, they you know, they they just ask for Google reviews. Sometimes they ask for first party and Google reviews, and they mix and match it. And that's a very successful strategy. Reviews are a long-term play. They're a five and ten-year play. Right. They're not a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of arrangement. That's probably a sexist metaphor from the old days. I apologize, but um, yeah. but it you know it shouldn't be viewed as this. Let's get it done this month. It's your business reputation is a long-term investment in quality. Right and asking people to reinforce that quality, creating a ongoing flow into your funnel of existing customers are happy, plus those becoming advocates for you, bringing new customers in through reviews.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. I was going to do a kind of conclusion a bit like that, but you did it loads better than I would have done. Uh, I think the conclusion there is don't get frustrated by the fact it's a bit slow. You need to build little by little, bit by bit, brick by brick. That was absolutely wonderful, Mike. I, I'm so happy to have had you on and I learned absolutely loads. A quick goodbye to and the show. Thank you, Mike.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And I'm welcome. I'm willing to come back anytime to talk about Ooh.
0: some of these other topics. So. Yeah, you've just dug, dug yourself a hole there because I'm having you back to talk about knowledge graphs and all of the entity stuff uh, in a few months when I've done some research with CaliCube. And then we can, we can compare notes and throw entities at each other, as it were. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. That was absolutely amazing. I'm really glad we had a record crowd today for Mike, who was very deserving. Next week, we've got Kelly Hungerford, all about digital transformation in B2B. She's absolutely delightful and incredibly smart. And I'm really looking forward to that one too. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you, Mike, for being here. See you very soon. Bye-bye everyone.